Life is full of bittersweet transitions. It's difficult to know how these changes will impact us over time. They can hit harder than expected and may contribute to feelings of hopelessness. You good, sir? Or even thoughts of suicide. We got this. Support from friends and family can make a big difference to a veteran going through a difficult time. We've got this, Dad. got this. Together, our actions could help save a life. Learn more at VeteransCrisisLine.net. Hello and welcome again to Oscar Mike Radio. I'm the host, Travis. Oscar Mike Radio is part of the Hoobazoo Network. You can find out more on Hoobazoo.com. And as always, I want to thank my sponsors, Joyce Asak of Asak Real Estate, Reaper Detailing and Power Washing, and my supporters, Semper Savage. Quezon Shaving Company, and Bottom Gun Coffee. Now, folks, this isn't a first for me, but it's kind of a first. I'm talking to, actually, yeah, it's not a first. I'm talking to my second Marine Corps lawyer. My first one was in Louisiana, and now I'm a little closer to home in Massachusetts. I'm with attorney Chris Sawin, U.S. Marine Corps veteran. Chris, welcome to Oscar Mike Radio. Thank you. Pleasure to have you. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, we kind of got connected through Mass Hole Veterans and Mass Hole Marines, and here we are. Yeah, no, I'm great to be here. Big supporter of Mass Hole Vets and uh, Mass Hole Marines, so I'm happy that you're having me on board. Absolutely, absolutely. And as I ask a lot of my fellow brothers and sisters, especially the Marines, tell us a little bit about your service. Yeah, so I was Marine Corps Infantry from 2005 to 2009. Um, I was stationed down at Camp Lejeune with 2nd Battalion, 6th Marines. I deployed to Fallujah in 2007, and then I came back to Camp Lejeune for about nine months, and then I deployed again with the 26th Marine Expeditionary Unit uh, aboard the USS Iwo Jima. Then I came back in 2009, then um, got out of the military in December 2009. Awesome. So you get out of the military, and you, you've been firing weapons and doing all kinds of cool grunt stuff. I, I wasn't a grunt, so you know it is what it is. And how did you go from grunt to like super probate lawyer on the South Shore of Massachusetts? <laughs> I, I never really thought that would happen, honestly. I was really a bad student in high school. Don't tell my clients that. But I was. I never should have graduated high school. But when I got out of the Marines, I used my GI Bill. I went to Quincy College. I started taking criminal justice classes. I want to be a police officer like many other veterans want to do. And I taken the list, the uh, test to be on the list. I was number two. They hired number one. No harm, no foul. I kept studying. Another test came out for civil service. I was number one. They passed me up. They took number two. So, so I was at the point where I was like, what do I do? I'm well on my way to my bachelor's in criminal justice. I'm not going to be a police officer anymore. You can't even do anything much with a bachelor's in criminal justice outside of law enforcement. So I was like, you know what? I got to keep this housing allowance going, right? Because I don't have a job. So I'm going to switch from post 9-11 GI Bill to Voc Rehab, and they're going to extend my benefits for another three years. And I went to law school. Just like that. Just like that. 
Where'd you go to law school? I went to Suffolk Law. I uh, finished up my bachelor's at Curry College, though I transferred from Quincy to Curry, and then I went to Suffolk Law. Great experience. It was awesome there. Um, so, yeah, have no regrets about it. So you, you do the Marine Corps thing. You actually use your GI benefits. See, you know, don't be like, I used part of mine, but he actually used all of his you have no excuse. You have no excuse. And you do this and you get into the, the practice of law. When did you decide to get into the kind of law you're practicing now? So when I was getting ready to graduate law school, I had applied to a bunch of different law firms and a lot of places just weren't hiring. It just wasn't a good time. This was like 2017. Um, and so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start my own practice because I don't have any other option. I can't just sit home because my, my GI bill benefits are cut off at this point. Um, and I started doing veterans law type cases with some discharge upgrades and appeals and things like that, um, just to kind of get people in the door and, and kind of get my feet wet with the community. And then I realized that all these veterans were having so many problems with divorce and child custody. And I had always kind of been interested in that in law school anyway. So I kind of merged from the veterans benefits stuff to probate and family law. And I thought that's been a much more beneficial experience for me in terms of trying to give back, but also help other people. Well, as somebody who's unfortunately been through the probate court process, um, it's a minefield. Um, there's, there's a, and I say this not just from the, 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 the lawyer experience, which I have a great lawyer, unfortunately for you, but you know, my attorney is fantastic, you know, nothing personal, but, um, it's a minefield when you go in there and realize that you're going up against somebody that you said at one point in your life, you take a bullet for, how do you prepare your client for that battlefield? Well, I think it's tough because there's a lot of family law is high stakes, high emotion, and you're dealing with someone's children and there's really nothing more that someone wants to protect more than their kids. It's very instinctual. It's, it's, built into the reptile part of people's brains. And so it's really hard for them to detach emotion from what has to be done legally, from kind of maybe what I'm recommending. So I kind of take this approach, whenever I talk to someone who's a potential new client, I kind of say that my style of lawyering is, I grab the bull by the horns. I'm the one driving the bus. Like, yes, I'll give you options in what I think you should or shouldn't do, but ultimately I'm gonna basically do what I think is right. But if you want me to do something else, that's fine. But you got to give me the latitude to really take charge and do what I do. And that's why I'm so successful. I've had clients that really put me on a leash and don't give me that latitude. And their cases don't end up as well. Um, but people that give me the latitude to do what I want to do, I'm, I'm fairly successful. So a lot of it is not only am I someone's lawyer, but I'm also like part therapist, part friend, part like other you know, VA type advocate trying to like talk these people off the ledge a little bit to get them into the courtroom to like bring them to the other side of the tunnel. So I wear a lot of different hats um, and I kind of have to have a balance of all these different roles that I'm trying to take on. But eventually, sometimes just level with the person. You know, like if I was representing you, I'd be like, hey man, you're in a crappy situation. Like this is the situation and these are your options and they all suck, but what I'm telling you to do, you may not want, but that's what the court's going to do anyway. So you might as well just listen to me. And a lot of times leveling with people just works out well, especially veterans. Veterans don't like 
anything sugar-coated, they want it like straight talk, and they, they really appreciate that. Straight talk's important, and it's tough to get. You know, one of the things that uh, a lot of my you know buddies who are looking to go through this process is like, well, TV said this and TV said that, and I try to tell them that, you know, what you see on TV is not what happens in the courtroom a lot of times. Can you go over some of the, you know, myths of TV, if you, if you will? You know, what should a veteran expect or a person expect that's different from what they see on TV when, with regard to, you know, court and family law? Sure. So a lot of the court stuff that you see on TV is really criminal-based, you know, like uh, law and order, that that type of thing. Or it's more civil with uh, people suing businesses or like like a Mystic River type of movie. Um, but family law is not widely on TV. And a lot of people get a lot of misconceptions, as you were saying. And a lot of what is on TV are, are trials. And cases rarely go to trial. I would say less than like 5% of family law cases go to trial because they're so expensive. It doesn't really happen. But what people see on TV is people that are objection, your honor, and talking back to the judge and talking to juries, right? Because there's no jury in family law. It's just the judge. That's called a bench trial. Um, so there, there are no juries in family law on TV. That's all you see are, are trials with juries. Um, and you see a courtroom with tons and tons of people. And sometimes it's like that, but a lot of times it's not. Um, and it's, it's a very theatrical, obviously, on TV, right? Because people like drama. And it's not usually like that. You know, usually the attorney that you're going up against is someone you've done cases with before and there's a good relationship. Um, so. that, that's what, see, now, now that personally was something that I had to get over was, you know, my lawyer's talking to this other lawyer as if they're, you know, going to get to Dunks and get coffee later. And, and it, it, I was educated that, you know, it's not the first time they've had to do this. So I had to start taking some of the personal side of this out of this. It was, it was hard to get my head around. And you want that, you know, you want your lawyer to have a good relationship with the lawyer on the other side, because it means your case is more likely to settle. What you don't want, and I have case, I mean, everyone has cases like this. I have lawyers on the other side that I really don't get along with for whatever reason. Um, it, 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 it happens sometimes, but if you can help it, you want two lawyers that get along. And I've, I've had cases where I've gone to court and I say, buy the client, and then I go get lunch with the other attorney. It, you know, I mean, it happens all the time. So you're going through this. What's been some of your, your, your challenges in dealing with the veteran population? Because, you know, I've, I got to see it one time. I can't, I can't speak about it now, of course, but I got to see where, you know, the, the veteran client, uh, he was the, um, you know, defendant caused his counsel huge problems right there in the courtroom. And, you know, I try to tell other veterans that, hey, look, you know, you're, you're paying this entity to represent you. Might be good to do what they tell you to do. And then I tell them, you know, pay promptly. <laughs> More than anything else, you all want us to pay promptly. Don't fool around with the money. And then the other thing is, is I'm like, you know, if, if your lawyer tells you to do something, you might want to consider why they're telling you to do that. So how, how can a veteran put themselves in a position to advocate effectively for themselves i think i think telling the truth is really important you know I've, I've had clients where you know maybe they don't know i'm a veteran or not or how much information i actually know about va benefits and they'll try to bs me a little bit maybe on what their benefits are how much they get paid like oh i'm 70 percent and i make this i'm like no nah, i don't because it's available online come on um so i, I think being really truthful 
you know, there's, there's really three people you shouldn't lie to, right? You got your doctor, he keeps you alive. You got your priest, right? Because you want to go to heaven one day and your lawyer because people like me keep you out of jail. So you shouldn't lie to those three people. But people do. <laughs> I know. People freaking know. lie to you guys. It is. And that's the problem. I mean, yes, lawyers love money, but anyone who's listening that's worked with me knows I'm super flexible. I'm not like that. Um, but it is good to pay your fees. So, um, you know, I think any veteran that wants to help themselves needs to help me by getting the information that I want out of them um, and just being truthful and, you know, taking my advice. You wouldn't believe how many people hire me, pay me all this money, I give them all this advice and they don't follow it and then they lose in court and they ask me, why did that happen? It, I mean, but, it happens. But it does happen. Do you ever wonder why it happens? Because, you know, I, I've been playing this game for a little while now and I'm like, wait a minute. And my lawyer's like, yeah, I mean, that person went in front of the judge and her client didn't do what she told them to do. Is there any reason why you think people just blatantly ignore or disregard what you all tell them? Um, I think I think vets sometimes can be really stubborn, right? You know, and it's kind of what I went into with with people's kids and people are very protective over children and they're very protective over money. You know, we, if, if you ever talk to anyone about their money, they're, they're really secretive about that. They, they keep it really tight. And when you start messing with people's kids, that's when, like, the Marine inside of you comes out. Right. And you just, you know, no, this isn't going to happen with my kids. And sometimes no matter what I say or I can say, hey, I've been in front of this judge a million times, what, you're, what you want me to do is not going to happen. They still want me to do it because they can't get over that instinct of these are my kids, I need to do what I think is right. And just because they have me by their side, they think that I'm just like a magician and I can just shield them from everything and I can't. So it's setting expectations. Yeah, I always set expectations. I never guarantee anyone anything, even if in my head I think it's a slam dunk. I will usually say it's highly likely, highly unlikely, likely, unlikely, that type of thing. Um, and, you know, or I'll say to the client, hey, I've been in front of, you know, Judge Jane Doe 10 times in the past 60 days, twice of which has been this issue. And this is what she's done. So let me ask you this, because unfortunately, I've been through the probate process. It's a long story, not for this conversation, but how important is it for the person to collect the documentation you need and fill out the long form or short form properly and on and timely. How important is that? That is really important. Um, you know, I'm kind of concerned that you know that terminology, right? Because it means you've been through it before, which stinks. But well, well, my attorney schooled me exactly on what to do. And I, I bought into to all the things that you said, I bought into what she was saying way early in the game. But so yes. Yeah. So, so the difference in the long and the short form is whether you make over or under $75,000 gross before taxes. People have a hard time with that. So before taxes, under 75K, short form over, you're on the long form. And when you sign this form, a lot of people don't realize. So you go to page four of the short form, you sign your name, Christopher Sawin. You're signing that under the pains and penalties of perjury. If you lie on that form, it's, it carries with it potentially criminal consequences. And it can use to be used against you with the court. It can be used against you with the judge in a trial if you go that far. And 
nine times out of ten, the court's not actually going to do anything to you, but it makes you look not credible. And if when you, when you lose credibility with a judge, you're done. Wow. And you get the same judge. You know, if, if we have judge, so we're in Plymouth County, right? Say, say we have Judge Roberts, and I'm going to represent you on a divorce. I do your divorce, and you have to come back in on something else. You're going before Judge Roberts. You don't get another judge unless she passes away or retires or transfers somewhere else, you're going you're gonna to get Judge Roberts. So it's really good that you need to keep that good rapport with that judge. So just like, just like the military, you know, situation, prior preparation, prior preparation, excuse me, all of that figures into that. And, and, you know, I've seen it where people weren't prepared and I've seen it where people were prepared and it didn't take me long to figure out that, you know, I'm paying for this. I might as well give her what, you know, my, my counsel wants timely. So you have that aspect of it. And then, you know, what do you think clients should do when they come to court? And it might seem like a, like a noob question, but, but I, I mean, I'm like, dude, showing up in your, in your Timberlands and blue jeans is, is not going to send the right message. So is it important? in this day and age to wear a shirt and tie or suit and tie? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You, you always want to look really good. Um, there are definitely people that show up in, like you were saying, you know, sweatpants or something. And you just look at them and you're like, what are you doing? Like, why do you think that's appropriate? It's not appropriate. And I always tell my clients before we show up, hey, dress business or business casual at least. You don't have to be in a suit, but some sort of slacks with a shirt and tie, something. Well, the, one of the guys told me, he's like, look, if I show up in my work clothes, that shows the judge that I'm a working guy and, you know, I'll get a break. And I, I'm like, I didn't understand that line of thinking. No, I don't think I agree with that. I mean, I think, you know, based off your financial statement or you can say, hey, judge, I work for a living. I work for National Grid or whatever. Then the judge is going to take that at face value, um, you know, especially... Like whenever I do someone's financial, I always ask, I need you, hey, I need your most recent pay stub. I need your W-2 from last tax year. And I will pre-fill out as much as I can. Then I'll talk to them and we'll go over all the expenses and everything. And I do quite a bit of due diligence hey, on that. pre-fill out the forms? Oh, yeah. What? <laughs> hey. <laughs> you got to talk to your lawyer. I'm telling you what. <laughs> anyway, okay. Yeah, so I, I basically pre-fill it out as much as I can. Then I'll have a conversation. So I'd call you and I'd say, hey, What's going on with your, you know, how much is in your checking account? How much do you spend on your electricity? All the way down. And then when it's done, I have you review it. You say, hey, Chris, good to go. We sign it. In terms of showing up to court looking like a million bucks, that's phenomenal. You don't need to necessarily bring anything else with you because I'll have all your paperwork, right? I'm on top of the ball like that. So I'll have your whole client yep, file. Yep. I'll have all these other copies and everything. But looking sharp is great. I can't tell you. Well, actually, I did. I will tell you. I won't say the person's name. Okay. I did a virtual hearing with the judge because during COVID, they were doing everything by Zoom. I was, um, I was getting out of the case for whatever reason, and my soon-to-be former client had shown up to the Zoom hearing wearing – he was outside with a tank top, drinking like a Coke or something. And I was like, oh, my God. But – I was getting out of the case, so I was like, hey, I don't really care. But stuff like that, never a good look. Never a good look. Never a good look. So you show up to court, and, you know, I, I was counseled, and, and, 
you know, by several other, you know, military attorneys, other attorneys, um, who I've talked to is you're sitting there across from the other person or side by side, right? And you're, you're going through the whole process of if you're the plaintiff, if you're the defendant, but you're hearing things that might upset you, how important is that military bearing when you're going through that? That's real important. Um, and, and as you said earlier, I always manage people's expectations when we go in and I usually say, um, you know, hey, Travis, your, your spouse is going to say some stuff that might be lies and they might not be true and you might not want to hear them, but you just got to put your poker face on and just stand there. And if there's something you want to tell me, you're going to tap my arm because what I'm going to do is I'm going to mute the microphone on the table, right? So it's not picked up on the audio and you can whisper sweet nothings into my ear or I will give you a pen and you can write it down. And if I think it's important, I will incorporate that into my argument to the court. And if I don't think it's important, I'm going to do like a stop that type of emotion. <laughs> my, 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 my attorney, to her credit, kind of said the same thing. And we haven't had to have that because we, we know what the game is. But you're moving through some very you know turbulent times in, in, a, in a person's life, veteran or otherwise. And then, you know, a lot of people expect to have a, a decision that day. And that was really the first couple of times I'm like, well, what's, what's happening? Well, we'll wait. Why is that? Why, why does the um, judge not render a decision at the time that you're in court a lot of times? Uh, my best answer, I think, is because they don't want to make an impulsive decision. Yeah. I mean, the arguments are usually heated as it is, you know, usually hotly contested. And the last thing you want is for a judge just to kind of go off the whim and make a decision. Sometimes the judges don't have the time to read the documents. They just listen to the arguments. And then they'll, they, they almost what they always say is, I'll take it under advisement or I'll think about it or counsel, I'll get an order to you out in 10 days or something. And what they're going to do is sometimes they'll take notes during the hearing or sometimes they'll go back and listen to the audio or they'll review the documents. They might look at, why were we in here last time? Look at the financial statements and then come up with some decision. But even when they do all that, it takes a while. Yeah. I mean, you might get, there's some judges in Plymouth County that, I mean, if I don't get a decision for 30 days, that's normal. There are other judges where I expect a decision within seven days because she's on top of the ball like that. So you just have to, I, I can't stress how important it is for your attorney to know your judge because every judge is different. My attorney does. Yeah. And, and so, you know, we, we, we plan accordingly. So you, you, you get the, 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 um, the warrant or whatever to appear in court, or you have your lawyer file for the same, you go to court, you get through all this and then you're waiting for the order. And then the order comes down and, you know, what do you talk with, with your clients when it didn't quite go the way it is, or more importantly, you know, I, I found that when it does go your way, there, there's an element of care that needs to be, you know, taken into consideration then too. What kind of conversations do you have with somebody around that? Not specifically, but in general. Yeah. Usually I try to get ahead of it by, as you said, even a couple times managing their expectations going into the hearing. And then I always talk to the client after the hearing. If it's a Zoom hearing, I'll call them. If it's in person, we'll talk in the hallway or something. And I'll just say, well, I think the hearing went well for us. I think it you know, didn't go well. Or I'll say, it's kind of wishy-washy. 
And when I get when I get a favorable order, that's always good, right? I'm I'm, I'm like the hero. I, I earn my pay, right? You know, the, all the money that they that they pay me or don't pay me is worth it to them. Um, and I usually what I'll do is I'll, I'll email to them. I'll wait like ten minutes and then I'll call and I'll say, Hey, did you hear? Did you read the good news? Or I'll say, Hey, I got the order. It's a little disappointing, but remember we spoke about this, right? We talked about this when we went into the hearing. I said that this is something the judge might do. I don't agree with it, but this is where we are. Let's see what we can do moving forward to either diminish what has happened or build upon it and try to change it later. One of the things I wanted to broach is a lot of guys I talk to don't want to put the effort into this time in their lives because they feel that right off the bat that because they're a man, they do not have any kind of advantage in court over a woman or the mother of their children. And I, I, I kind of disagree with that. I, I'm like, it's a, a, a level of effort on your part that's going to predict how things are going to go within the terms of the law. And I kind of wanted you to opine on that because, you know, I don't want individuals giving up before we even get started. Yeah. You know, I, I think I do agree with you. I think if, um, I think even if you go back as little as five to 10 years ago, I would have said that Massachusetts is overwhelmingly a mother slash wife state in terms of custody and division of assets and things like that. I, I really think over the past even five years has been huge changes in terms of father's rights. Um, I mean, I'm seeing a lot more judges kind of giving dads more like the benefit of the doubt. Um, but I've, I also have a lot of judges that are kind of stuck in the old ways of, hey, if dad wants, you know, before it was called visitation, now it's called parenting time, right? Because it's got to be politically correct. So if dad wants parenting time, the status quo or what the average dad gets is one day during the week, every other weekend. It comes out to like eight to 11 days per month, kind of depending on the month. And you get judges that no matter how great of a dad dad was, dad's getting status quo parenting time. And now you're kind of like, it's a huge uphill battle to come, to come out from that. But you get other judges that say, hey, you know, judge, during the time the parties were married, there were equal contributions and they both equally participated in caregiving responsibilities. Dad needs to have equal parenting time and that'll happen. So I do think if I had to pick one side or the other, I think Massachusetts is definitely still a mother's state, but it's definitely evening out. And I wrote a blog about that on my website. And we're going to have the link to that <laughs> blog in the Oscar Mike Radio Show post. And I'm with Chris Sawin, U.S. Marine Corps veteran and attorney at law in the South Shore uh, portion of Massachusetts, Hingham. And we're talking about, you know, his practice and how he approaches things. So, you know, you're doing this and you've grown this business just, you know, hey, I had to grow this. And you've grown and you've done this and you've definitely been successful. How have you built your success as a practitioner of law? It's been a lot of grit. It's been a lot of uh, going to networking meetings, building those relationships. I mean, when I first started practicing, what I implemented was uh, income-based fees. So based on your income, and I never even confirmed it. I just took it at what? someone's word. I know. What? Yeah. And I basically went as low as half off my hourly rate for any type of client. I was taking all types of stuff, but especially the family law stuff, half off. And sometimes I was, you know, not making real hardly any money from it, but it was getting people in the door. And if I do something good for you, you're going to tell someone else that needs the same thing. 
just and like that the builds Corps. up, just like everything else. Right. You know, people, people like birds of a feather kind of flock together, right? So if you're going through a divorce, you probably know someone else that's going through a divorce um, or has other issues that need a, a family law lawyer. So that kind of just built up. Income-based fee. I don't do that anymore, though. Yeah, I do Ooh. give breaks for vets because I love vets. But, oh, but still, still, I'm, I mean, you, you know, some of your peers must have been like, "Are you out of your mind?" Yeah, they were not happy telling me I'm watering, watering down the hourly rate on the South Shore. But I was fresh out of law school, and so I, I felt like I was out for blood. Like I had to like prove myself, and I was just like, I don't care. Like I'm going to take as many people in the door. I don't care what they if that. I don't. I don't even care if they pay me at that point. I just want to get the experience, build up the book of business, and then build off of that. So one things that ha- one of the things that happened through COVID was a lot of um, you know probate issues. A lot of husbands and wives found out just how much they didn't like and love each other. Um, you know, and we're coming out of COVID now. How did COVID impact your business? Boomed. <laughs> Honestly, it uh, <laughs> it increased at least 200%, which is sad, right? It's, it's kind of sad to say that, but, you know, listen, when you're stuck at home for months on end and the only person you're seeing is your wife and you can't see your girlfriend, that's going to cause a lot of problems, right? So we're going to kind of wind it down with this then. I mean, in your experience, because, you know, my attorney answered this differently, so I've got to ask you, you know, based on your experience with all this and the fact that your business boomed, you know, what's the case for love and marriage, Chris? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, people are always going to get married, right? But should they get married? Absolutely. Right? Oh, I, come listen, on. I can't, I don't need to promote divorce. That happens on its own. I don't even need to do that. I promote marriage. I want people to have loving marriages, right? Come on. We want a vet to go out there and take a 15% interest rate on his Mustang and get married. Why not? Um, That's a joke. Don't do that. Don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. That's bad advice. Absolutely. 100%. That wasn't even legal advice. But but still, you're you're, you're advocating for an activity with a 50% failure rate at the low end. I don't want to deny someone the pursuit of love. (laughs) I got to tell you, my attorney kind of said the same thing, Chris. I wonder why. So as, as we, you know, you went through COVID and you're at this point in your business, you know, seriously though, I want to know what is it about your approach to law and practice that adds value to a client versus, because you go to lawyers.com and it's like, oh my God, I mean, I didn't know there were that many out there. So how do you differentiate yourself from somebody else? No, I think that's a good question. Um, I think a big part of it is I just, I say it like it is. Like when I'm giving someone a consultation, I will just tell them, hey, you're in a bad situation. I won't beat around the bush. um, And I'll give them a a very black and white picture of their situation. And people love that. They, they, They always tell me, I appreciate your honesty, Chris. I spoke to John Doe down the street and he had a different opinion, but he didn't say the things that you said or he didn't explain how custody works or how, I mean, you wouldn't believe people because I, I just took someone on. She's been with the same lawyer for like six months, fired her, came to me. This client was never explained how alimony works, 
how child support works, how division oh. of assets work. And that's all something I do right off the bat in a consultation. So people are fairly, fairly well educated when I talk to them about how everything works and they like that. Just like when you go to the doctor, right? You go to your doctor's office and your, your primary care is like, hey, we're going to take your blood. We're going to test for all this, all this nonsense, right? Um, I mean, it's, it's good to know and you feel good about knowing what it is that they're, that they're doing. You don't want to be like, oh, yeah, just stick me with a bunch of stuff and don't tell me. I don't know. Maybe you do. No, I, I try to avoid the doctor at all costs. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, you, you've done this and you built it by being honest with your clients. And, you know, I, I, I would appreciate that. My, my attorney is very forthcoming with me about the expectation and what may happen. And, and, you know, I really appreciate that. And as you're building your business, what's what's in the future for your, your, your law practice? Uh, I don't have any choice, but I have to expand. I mean, yeah. since I got out of law school, I have hired an associate attorney. I have two law clerks and a paralegal. At one point, it was just me, and I was struggling with like five active clients. Now the firm has, at any given time, about 75 active clients. And I also have enough counsel attorneys. So I have really two attorneys that work for me two law clerks, the paralegal, and I, I really need another attorney. The problem is finding attorneys is really difficult, which really? is contrary to what I said earlier. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, there's been a big change, and I don't know what it is, but not, I mean, I speak to a lot of colleagues, and they're in the same boat. Hey, Chris, you know anyone looking for civil litigation or whatever, you know, med mail? And I'm like, no, I don't. I'm looking for someone myself. But not only that, but no one wants to do family law, right? I mean... You know, if, if you look at the attorneys on the South Shore, a lot of them have been practicing for 20 plus years. There's really no one that's been practicing like me at all. I mean, I, I think out of all the attorneys I've gone up against, there's been maybe two that have been in the same boat as me. But other than that, I go up against attorneys all the time that have been practicing 20 plus years. So I don't know what's going to happen in 10 years when they all retire. It's going to be just me, I guess. I don't know. But I mean, even your lawyer, how, how old do you think your lawyer is? Come on, come on now, Chris, put you on the spot. No, no. She might be diminutive in stature, but her bite is worse than her bark. And, you know, she's had to put her boot up where the sun doesn't shine a couple of times. I'm not going there. I'm Good gonna I'm, I'm gonna say that she is quite experienced. Let's yeah. let's let's leave it at that. But and I've taken notes through all these cases, right, right. So um what you're saying is if you have the idea to go into law, now's a pretty good time to do it. I think so. I mean, you can't go wrong. You can you can do anything you want with a law degree. Like, you don't have to be a lawyer if you don't want to. You can go teach. I mean, you have technically a doctorate. It's a JD, a Juris Doctorate. You can go teach at a college or a university or you can go into politics. I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff you can do. You can go work for a government agency or work in the DA's office. But I just heard it's a, it, it's, it's a no BS school. Like you really have to apply yourself. Like it's a brutal experience. It is. Yeah. You got to put your head down. You know, you have to apply yourself. It's important to do well in school. And I treated it like a job, right? Because I was getting paid to go to school. So I was like, it's no different than a job. I'm going to do wake up in the morning on time. I'm going to take the commuter around to Boston. I'm going to get there at a certain time. I'm going to be early, 15 minutes prior. And I'm going to go to all my classes. I'm going to do read all, do all the reading, because if I don't and I fail, I won't get paid. <laughs> right? That's I won't quite get my the motivation. That's quite the motivation. 
And you got to take advantage of all the things that law school has to offer. Like I was on the law journal and um, I did I did family law clinics. Like not everyone does those things. And you've gotten rated really highly in, in this part of the country. Like you've won some awards and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, past two years, so for 20 and 2021, um, I was rated as a rising star. Uh, only 2.5% of lawyers in the family law category actually get that in Massachusetts. And it's not something I can pay for. Or I can't promote myself for it. It's totally peer-reviewed, surveyed, credentials, uh, things like that. So you're good. You're good at your job. I mean, you know, yeah. don't, don't, don't be bashful. Just say he's good at his job, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's fair to say I'm better than some, but not as good as others, I suppose. Spoken like a true <laughs> you know, fitness report on the Marine Corps. So you've done this, you, you're, you're in a way the American success story and the post, you know, Marine Corps veteran experience success story. How can people find you if they want to, you know, have you consult them? You can Google me. You can Google my name, Christopher Sawin or attorney Christopher Sawin. I'm the first thing that comes up. You can Google the firm, Sawin Law PC, first thing that comes up. I got. I think I have almost like thirty Google reviews. People love to look at those. You can go on the website. Yeah, they do. yeah I'm on the website, you can fill out a form. The numbers on there. We're on Facebook, LinkedIn. I'll have all those links in the Oscar Mike Rio show post. Will be no excuse, and I definitely want that blog post. Absolutely, it's on there. Just for fathers. It's all about fathers' rights. Awesome, awesome. Well, again, my name is Travis with Oscar Mike Radio. I'm with fellow Marine Corps veteran Chris Sawin, attorney at law in Hingham, Massachusetts. It's been great talking with you, Chris. And as we close down, you know, when you, you terminate that relationship with your client for better or worse, let's just talk for better because I want to end on a positive note. You, you know, I will say there's, there's going to be a time where I won't need my attorney anymore, but I will say that it's nice that we've had the relationship we've had. You know, how do you leave your clients? So whenever I end a case, I always send what's called a closing letter basically says, hey, Travis, I did a great job for you. You know I did a great job for you. I have to send you this letter to let you know that I have to keep your file and everything. And then I always say, I'm always here if you need me, but you have to know that this letter means I don't represent you anymore, but you always come back to me. And then I mail them out a really nice Yeti tumbler with my logo on it. And that way, every time they drink, whatever it is they're drinking, they're going to think of me. Always be thinking, always be repping. That's it's right. very important even for you all. Well, I want to thank you for coming on Oscar Mike Radio. And, you know, if you have uh, probate or family court issues, it's a very trying time. But there's nothing like a Marine to represent you. And I want to thank you again, Chris. Thank you very much. Awesome. Great being here. I want to thank you for joining me and watching Oscar Mike Radio. Now go to OscarMikeRadio.com and click shop to check out all the cool merchandise from Authentically American. All proceeds go to veteran service organizations. We are Mission in Flight.